0: I wanted to dance about something. I just got past the point of being like, okay, I just want my light to be really high. Mm -hmm. And I just want this to look really pretty. And Mm -hmm. I want this to be the best in the class. I just got to a point where I want this to feel good for me and I can express something to other people. Because then like, what am I doing? Why am I doing it?
1: Welcome to This Thing Called Movement, a podcast exploring the medium of movement and looking into how it has the capacity to transform not only our physical bodies, but potentially every other facet of our lives. I'm your host, Marie Janicek a movement guide here to help people find their own unique and authentic relationship to movement through creativity, curiosity, and self-expression. Join me as I dive into deep conversations with a wide variety of individuals from many different fields and backgrounds. Together, we'll gain insight into their own unique movement experiences, the transformations that resulted, and how movement has affected their lives at large. I hope these recorded conversations will inspire and empower you to find your own unique movement journey in your life, in your own way. really looking forward to presenting this next installment of Movement Conversation featuring Marissa Hamera. Marissa and I have so much in common. We were both dancers growing up. We both pursued it professionally, struggled with injuries along the way, which led us into making the transition into personal training and working more within the fitness industry. And I loved having Marissa on here today because we got to talk about some of the nuances of our relationship to dance and fitness that I have not quite gotten to explore in this way with a guest yet. A couple of components of this conversation that were my favorite were, number one, uh, talking about the Graham technique, which is a type of modern dance technique established in the 1930s, 40s, and... Uh, really loved digging into some of the nuances behind that movement practice. We also talked about the importance of diversity in movement and how in both of our experiences, diversity with a ton of different movement practices allows us to be far better in all of them as a result. And perhaps My favorite part of this was when we finished off and Marissa gave us her words of wisdom. We talked about the importance of the smaller scale things you do throughout the day that may feel insignificant and the importance of connecting into those whenever you have an opportunity and not allowing the judgment of it not being enough to stop you. So there was so much more held in this conversation. I'm really thrilled to share everything that we talked about together with you all. So for now, feel free to relax, sit back, and allow these words to wash over you. Today on the podcast, we have Marissa Hamera, who I had the pleasure of meeting very recently. <laughs> just a so week ago. Yeah, just a week ago, and now we're here, which is super exciting. Um, but you are heavily involved with Procedos, right? You're part of uh, the direction of education, correct? Yes. And you're also a former dancer, yeah. maybe even still currently.
0: Dabble in it now.
1: <laughs> so why don't you go ahead and just give us a little synopsis of who you are, a little bit about your movement journey, and we'll go
0: from there. Yeah, sure. Well, thank you for having me. Of um, I'm happy to be here, especially since I've been following you for a while. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so my movement journey started when I was, I mean as a baby, right? So started all the way from there. But when I was three, my mom put me in dance because I was a fat kid. (laughs) I was a I was basically a ten pound baby. Oh wow. So I was really chunky and my mom was like, let's put her in dance for exercise. Mm. And I went through dance for twenty years after that. Wow. So from age three I started dancing and I did all competition dance, which I feel like you did as well. Yes, I did. Um, And I did tap, jazz, ballet, modern, contemporary, you know, everything under the sun and had a great time doing that. In the middle of that, I did some gymnastics as well Mm. and competed in gymnastics, which I really loved. But then it came to a point of you have to pick one or the other. Mm because my whole schedule after school was are you going to go to dance or are you going to go to gymnastics or are you going to go to both and then you have to eat and do homework. Mm. And then you have to go on an audition because then I wound up in acting and all of that as mm. well because I grew up in New York, so oh. I had access to all the things, which I'm very fortunate for. Um, and then in high school, I went to performing arts high school and i wound up majoring in dance mm-hmm. and that's when i really fell in love with the gram technique and started to find myself in this whole modern dance world and i had to get into ballet because my ballet skills were not up to par <laughs> <laughs> and actually i started hating like all every ballet class just because i wasn't good at it mm-hmm. and dance was something that just came so natural to me mm-hmm and all the other like categories of dance yeah. but not ballet so that was like I hate this type of movement I don't want to do this it's so rigid mm. and those hour and a half classes were like the most dreadful hour and a half yeah. classes of my life and after high school I decided Okay, I either want to become a pharmacist because I liked chemistry. Okay. Or maybe I'll go the physical therapy route and gear it towards dancers. Or I'll just go to the gram school. (laughs) So I just went to the gram school and had at least three hours of a gram class every day, which is really taxing on your body after you're doing it for four years prior. Yeah, yeah. Because then I even found myself in an after-school teen gram program mm. before diving into like the professional training program. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to keep moving and I just wanted to keep going with this contraction and release of <laughs> gram technique. And it just felt good on my body. And so feeling good in those classes, and mentally I felt good because the girls in these classes were a little bit thicker mm-hmm. than the average dancer. Mm-hmm. So I felt like, okay, this is my home, this is where I fit in. And then three years there. And after that I danced for a couple companies. And from there I was really injured. That's most dancers. <laughs> <Yeah. ever. laughs> I was fighting through so many injuries at this time too. So when I was even in high school, I was having so many cases of plantar fasciitis. Mm-hmm. My left foot was just a disaster, and then it was my right, and then it was both, and then it was my SI. Yeah. And I was going to a chiropractor since I was 13 at the time. Wow. Yeah. One or several? I was going to one, Mm -hmm. and I'd see her, like, twice a week, because I feel like that's also one of those modalities that once you start it, you can't really stop, Mm -hmm. because you just want that crack. You just want that adjustment, or you just want to feel a little bit better. Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of my dance career also sitting and watching Mm. and taking notes, but it was really cool to just sit back for a little and watch other people move. Mm. And I really loved seeing other people's movement and being like, oh, they could have done this a little differently or, you know what, let me reflect back at myself and think about how I do that movement and where can I take that? Mm -hmm. Can I take it in a different direction? Mm. So... Yeah, injury led me into the personal training world. <laughs> so, yeah, kind of like me. Yeah. <laughs> As I feel like it's a really natural path for a lot of dancers. Mm-hmm. And I wound up touring in Berlin and Edinburgh. I performed in the Fringe Festival. And from there, I said, you know what? I think that there's something else that I want to explore and exercise. Because it just became so into my everyday life towards the end of my dance career. Mm-hmm. Because... I needed to do something else. Mm-hmm. You know, you research a little. Cross training is good for dancers. Yeah. All right, I'll go to the gym. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do whatever I feel like I want to do there. Mm-hmm. had no idea what I was doing, but <laughs> I went. So yeah. I'm like, this is cross training, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And um, after being in Edinburgh, I came back home wanting to work in fitness. So I got a job at a front desk mm-hmm. at a studio that was down the block from my house. Had no idea what it was called. It was on Craigslist. Okay. And I'm like, I'm just gonna go in. <laughs> so I walk into the studio and it's beautiful. And they're doing this movement that looks like dance, but they're exercising. Mm. And it Doesn't look like a bar class, but it looks like really broken down movements of dance technique. Mm -hmm. That is where I met Jason, my husband. (laughs) Jason, who's in the corner. (laughs) And while I was there, I just worked the desk. I worked my way up to management. And I had this desire to teach, because I was also teaching dance to students. Mm -hmm. And, you know it wasn't like I wanted to keep fulfilling this whole dance thing for much longer. I knew that I didn't want to, and I wanted to really dwindle down and sort of how can I give the movement techniques and the things that I learned through my ups, my downs in dance to other people? How can Mm -hmm. I help other people move better? Mm -hmm. And that's what they were doing at this studio, Mm -hmm. which is called model fit. Um, They're not exactly doing that anymore, and I don't feel bad saying that on here, but (laughs) at the time they were, and I met this guy, Justin Gelband, who was training all these models and had this 3D approach to movement, which is why it looked like dance, Mm -hmm. because everything was so broken down. There are all these spirals in the movements that I saw, but people taking class probably never saw. Yeah. And I started working with Justin and Jason and Jason specifically was like, let me put my hands on your hips and like help your SI Mm joint. So Mm -hmm. he was really helping me through movement. And I think like, you know, he just wanted to put his hands on me somehow. (laughs) But, but, you know, like you guys are together. Yeah. (laughs) But it did like everything we did together through this 3D movement helped me. And it was Mm -hmm. the best year I spent dancing because I wasn't in pain. Mm. I felt like I could just maximize all of my movements to this place that I couldn't really go before Mm -hmm. without being in pain or without faking the movement, Mm. just forcing it. Uh, And this 3D movement was from the Gray Institute. Mm. So then I started to find, okay, this works for me, works for these other people in class. How can I get involved? And that was kind of my, personal trainer way in mm. even though it's not really a cert for personal trainers it was a, a cert that can teach you how to use the body mm-hmm. in a different way so I got into CAPS mm. C-A-F-S and CAPS basically teaches you how to tweak movement for the person that's in front of you mm-hmm. and to me this was like a dance composition class where you mm. like you take one sort of movement and you say, how can I make it do X, Y, and Z for this person? And in dance comp, you're like, okay, how can I take this movement phrase and make it faster, make mm. it slower, go from the ground to the to up, yeah. up to down? And I mean, you do it so beautifully all the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you do it a little bit more naturally.
1: So. <laughs> well, like for me, up and down has been like, the quintessential obsession of my personal training career because uh, I remember coming across this Brazilian study that was done a few years back as like a predicator for longevity and, um, and even a predictor for mortality rate, but depending on how efficiently you can get up and down from the ground. And I remember as a dancer when I was training full time and really injured and also, you uh, you know, like auditioning and trying to make it. That was actually something I I always, I knew I was strong, but there were so many areas when I was learning choreography that I could tell I didn't have adequate strength for some reason. And it was always really perplexing to me to like know that my body was doing these insane things that normal people weren't ever doing. And that in many ways I was an athlete, but I could feel these little pockets Mm -hmm. of total inefficiency and these gaps were like, I I just couldn't do things and I and I recognized that that was where those injuries were coming through. So when I got uh into training and I started at Equinox and and I came across that study the ground to standing patterns, I I became obsessed. And there's something about ground to standing that I that just was really fascinating me because it was an element of mobility, stability, it was an element of balance and like total integrity within the system having to like work together and and so there were a few years before I left Equinox where I was just like obsessively playing around with that stuff and then that came into my own personal intuitive movement practice or just like well how can I roll on the ground and get up in a different way every time and um it's so interesting now occasionally going back into dance classes and not feeling like those holes are there and uh yeah, I mean, for a while, I was also interested in, like, how can we help dancers, like, be more integrated? They really need, like, all this stuff yeah. that personal training has to offer that, you know, uh, places like the Gray Institute, like, shape brilliant minds to help people with this stuff. And it's it's such a fascinating juxtaposition there. And I think, like, you're sharing, every dancer goes through this. Or yeah. we're, like, so we we do so much, and yet we have so many gaps that are not filled with the proper and adequate education yeah
0: and I love what you said about like the ground top promoting longevity because I feel like that's one of the first things like in the first year of being a baby that happens Uh like you just watch babies and all they want to do is make the little steps into a way of getting from the ground to the standing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I mean it just makes sense that that's something that we need. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's also
1: just, it's so nourishing to be in contact with the ground. Yeah. I, this was something I noticed with animal flow, like when I was learning it early on in my career and I was really excited about it and I was taking clients through it because like, I don't know, I just felt this power in being close to the ground and having to focus so much of your attention and energy and how you are interacting with the ground. And, you know, people don't like it. I, I remember no, like observing, like, like there were, there, I had people I would work with that were like, oh, I need to use a mat for my hands. I can't touch the ground. And so I thought to myself, well, when you have a mat, like you're actually dissipating your ability to connect yeah. and to really feel, um, force production there. You're really actually taking your, st-. and I thought, like, that's so interesting that here we, like, right beneath us, we have, Something that we are in relationship with all the time, whether you're aware of it or not. And it would behoove us to actually have an intentional relationship with it. And then the second you, like, ask people to get there and and be in contact with it, for many people that's intimidating or it puts them in a state of intense vulnerability. Yeah. And that's just something very interesting to witness, you know, how as we're getting more cerebral and less connected with our bodies,
0: now we're even struggling with staying connected to the ground. Yeah, that's true. And even, you know, when I'd go through all these dance composition classes and we go across the floor and change a movement pattern, people didn't want to get on the ground. But it was something that I noticed other people weren't doing. So I'm like, okay, I'll go there. Mm. And I'd always be like, Marissa, great job. You went on the ground. So I felt like, okay, the ground's kind of my thing thing I'm yeah. um, cool with being down there Yeah, and yeah I mean the ground connection mm. is pretty it's beautiful and not a lot of people explore it so for those listeners get on the ground the floor is your friend it <laughs> is it's a cliche but so true well I mean it's interesting because you
1: are most of your dance experience is rooted in through Graham. yeah I only took like maybe a semester of Graham technique in college before that professor left um and then we didn't have it available to us anymore but I remember grand technique was just so humbling because I mean, <laughs> we were on the ground all the time like you said it's like the curve and the release and like the the like tiny little adjustments you had to do and of course most of it was seated like that's how the warm-up starts yeah. and me with my immobile tight hips like I couldn't actually like do most of this stuff despite being like flexible and dancer athletic yeah Uh, so I'd love for you to like kind of dig more into some of like what fascinated you about Graham what like pulled you in like
0: what you loved about it yeah like just flesh out your experience there I mean definitely one of the bigger things was the body type like to be Mm -hmm. honest first of all just going around and watching dance performances and you see these really like stick figure girls on stage (laughs) and I'm like well I've never been that I'll never be that. Where's, where's the company that seems most attainable to me? Mm. And when I would watch the Graham company, that kind of like resonated with me, Mm. but at the same time, their movement was just so beautiful and it seemed so natural. And you can just see now looking at it with like, you know, a trainer lens on it or Mm -hmm. someone just a little bit more into the science of it you see like all these fascia line pulls and Mm -hmm. it's a lot about opposition and the body working in two different forces and someone pulling you up here and someone pulling you down there and Mm -hmm. having two different roots. So now you look at it and you're like, oh, well, if they couldn't stretch all the way through that bottom left leg, that right arm wasn't going to stretch all the way up either. Mm -hmm. But anyway, looking at this movement just from a dancer lens, I was like, that's really just beautiful it's and then it was something that I just wanted to connect with a little bit more mm. modern and like competition school was something that I was good at mm. and being good at it just made me want to do it more mm. like I said I really wasn't into ballet I wasn't good at it and I think I wasn't into it because I wasn't good at it So mm. I mean I always
1: hated <laughs> ballet too the only time I started to really enjoy it was actually through a professor at Barnard College. And it's because she literally took ballet as a medium and stripped it down to like the nuts and bolts of it yeah. in a way like where she did not allow you to like show up in her class with any movement that was inauthentic. And so she was a difficult teacher because you had a lot of people who'd been in professional ballet companies and the barnard columbia vortex yeah and a lot of them wanted to just dance ballet and like feel like princesses and fairies yeah. and then she if you had anything in your body that was misaligned and did not have integrity she would not let you have that hold that position and so a lot of times in her class like you ba- you barely got through like a like adagio and petite allegro center floor like we never really even got to jump because she she couldn't stand like how how there was no integrity and in even like first position and tattoos right. and plies and releves for people, but like her depth and her like complete immersion into like the quality and integrity of the simplicity of ballet and to really like use everything you had in your body to express through even like, just like bending your knees in the plie yeah. like, where it was all about literally corkscrewing to the ground and feeling the spiral line of your whole body begin to like, just like, root in to start yeah. that movement before anything moved. No one had spoken about movement in that way. And not for me. And it was, it was life changing. Yeah. Not that I loved ballet, but she gave me ballet through a whole new lens. Yeah. And to be fair, I mean, we also like danced to Radiohead and Modest Mouse. And I had a ballet
0: teacher who did that too. <laughs> yeah. <I> was like, <laughs> so it was like
1: not typical rhythm yeah. and timing. Sometimes you had like a three count. Sometimes it was a six. I mean, it was, it You had to, you just had to drop into your body in a whole new way. And I've been yeah. so used to ballet being visual and external, like looking in the mirror and being like, is my leg high now? Yeah. Like, is my bending? <laughs> Never mind that my ribs
0: are flared out, that my knees are like driving exactly. forward, you know? Yeah. But I think you touched on something also that drew me into Graham was like, these dancers wanted to be fairies and pretty. And I didn't really want to be that. That wasn't really interesting to me. Like I had my Cinderella costume when I was five, you know? (laughs) Five. We left it out the door then. So I didn't didn't really care to be that. Yeah. And Graham just felt more real. It was something that was, you know, developed at a time where there was war going on and there were internal struggles for women. And so all these pieces had some sort of context that felt juicier and just felt more rich and i wanted to dance about something yes. like i just got past the point of being like okay i just want my light to be really high mm-hmm. and i just want this to look really pretty and mm-hmm. i want this to be the best in the class mm-hmm. i just got to a point where i want this to feel good for me and i can express something to other people yeah because then like what what am i doing and why why am i doing it yeah. so it was kind of putting a why behind what i was doing yeah, I, I did. I I didn't get to encounter
1: modern until I was actually at New York City Dance Alliance, their nationals, <laughs> um, and they brought in Robert Battle uh-huh. and Asher Barton for like the guest classes for that week. And uh, that was my first lens into like modern or like modern contemporary dance. And And I remember just being so enthralled with like the the visceral feeling that they were focusing on versus the shapes. That was the yeah. first time I'd ever experienced dance, like through the modality of like you're there to communicate a feeling. And it was just so raw and powerful. And I was like, oh, I, I need more of this modern stuff. Yeah. I was like, I was so excited. I was so like set like alive because I'd already, I'd been struggling in the like contemporary or, or like commercially driven. And yeah, um, sort of performance showcase world where everything was more or less the same. There's a lot of copycatting more of like, Oh, like, you know, we have these famous choreographers
0: that are like doing brilliantly.
1: How can we make our stuff look more like that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're right. A hundred percent. And that was kind of one of those drawing like ending points for me. It's like, I'm actually probably better at going that contemporary, like, commercial route or Mm -hmm. that, like, hip-hop route and Mm -hmm. stuff. And, you know, I tried out for, like, the NBA dance teams and all that and made it to finals, and I never got quite there. Mm -hmm. And I really think it's just because, like, I didn't really have anything to give besides a high leg. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And at at some point in your life, it's like – or, I mean – For some dancers, you don't get there. But for me, I just got to the point of, like, I want more than a high leg. Mm -hmm. And so ground technique, when you're really rooted into the ground, you find this connection with yourself that, like, for people who don't know, you do start every class on the ground. Mm -hmm. And then you work your way up to standing, and then you work your way across the floor, and then you work your way into all the repertoire. But the floor stuff is so about your pelvis initiating movement and that being this driving center Mm. of where movement begins. Mm. And so to feel that heavy pelvis on the ground, but feeling your head up in the sky or somewhere Mm. else in opposition. And like you said, like that's this whole side thing, like Mm -hmm. this side head thing doesn't happen if that right hip doesn't move. Mm -hmm. So there's really no faking this movement Mm -mm. at all, (laughs) at all. And when I had SI pain and all of that. I was going to gyrotonic. I was going to all these places to like help fix mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Although I think the root of the issue is probably down in my feet now that I look at it. Yeah. <laughs> but at the time I'm like, I just need to fix my pelvis. I just need to fix my pelvis. Yeah. And, and I mean, the movement just felt so raw and felt so real and natural. And I don't even know how it felt natural because my hips weren't like that open either.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> But no, everything I, else just felt it felt so good in my body.
1: I just like I said, it was humbling for me and I remember because, like you said, there is no faking it and and there there is like an intensity and a vulnerability that the being in contact with the floor presents, especially yeah. when your only movement that you're starting with is like sitting on the ground. Yeah. So your hips are your point of contact. You're creating opposition through your whole spine and your head and neck. And that's where those are those tension points you're talking about yeah. that you're maneuvering to create movement. I mean, how often is like your main modality of movement between your pelvis and your head exclusively, right? Like, never, because we always get to like help out with our limbs. Yeah. So it is such a, it really was so humbling because I just realized how little I knew about my body in this relationship. And, and like you were saying, there is an element of just that being connected to the ground from that point, And that being where you're,
0: developing the movement from it's it's really eye-opening yeah and if your breath wasn't even integrated into this movement that was kind of probably one of the first times i really noticed breath and movement go together Mm. and if that breath isn't there the movement quality is different and you can do it without the breath but you're going to have a totally different movement Yeah. So every class, it was always starting with the breath, then starting with the breath in relation to the pelvis and like dropping your breath all the way down there. And then when you're taking that inhale, exhale, you're really feeling it through your body. So if you're not feeling that your release is not going to be as strong, your Mm -hmm. contraction is not going to be as strong. Mm -hmm. And I mean, breath is probably one of those things I could personally play with a little bit more in my movement practice today, yeah. now that we're talking about it, I'm <laughs> jotting mental note, but yeah, <laughs> how do I integrate this more? Yeah, <laughs> but it, I mean, it was just something that felt real, and like, life starts with breath, life starts on the ground, mm. Graham started there too, so that was that whole lifetime for me. Wow. Ah, oh, so much richness there. I'm, I'm just yeah. reflecting back, but
1: I would let's let's take things in a slightly different direction. Let's so go. as you, so I'm obsessed with the concept of movement and how it has completely different meanings to each individual. Yeah. So if you'd be kind enough to share your definition and your viewpoint of what movement is and yeah. what it means to you.
0: Okay, so yesterday I started thinking about this whole movement versus exercise thing and it was really one of those moments where I was walking down the street having coffee and I'm like I'm having a brilliant thought like (laughs) I listen to other people have these moments and I'm like that's not real but I had it and it's real so it can happen (laughs) so I started thinking movement really like it is literally life Mm -hmm. it is life and without movement Things start to die yeah. or just go flat. Mm-hmm. Even like someone who is paralyzed has movement going on inside internally, mm-hmm. between the organs, between the blood, all of these things are moving, moving. And once those things stop, life ends. Mm-hmm. So without you know, some movement that's going on inside, movement that's going on outside, we're not alive. Mm-hmm. And so movement can come in so many different ways too. And I think that that's something so beautiful that you showcase on your podcast. Like Mm -hmm. movement is a step movement is doing a squat movement is anything going on inside the body, putting food in the digestive system. Mm -hmm. Like all these things are moving around Mm -hmm. and I think it's so beautiful that it changes so often. And when you just start to look at all the places that movement comes from and ends with it just it changes all the time and there's so much variation in it Mm. which is part of why I love procedures (laughs) and all the movement we do there but I feel like it's really hard to put one definition on movement yeah because it does change so much but I was really thinking about this, like, what is movement versus exercise sort of thing?
1: Okay.
0: Because Procedos as a company, we've been, like, talking about when we're teaching education, do we call it, these are the exercises or are these the movements? Mm. And I, for the long time, I was like, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Why, why do we have to really think about something different? It's the same. Who cares what we say? And mm. Jason would be like, you know, movement sounds a little more physical therapy, Exercise sounds more trainer. Mm-hmm. Agree. Mm-hmm. But then yesterday, as I'm drinking this coffee, it hits me that I think exercise is more of a task that's given, and movement is what's needed to complete that task. Ooh. Do you like? That? I do like that. <laughs> I really do. And so I started thinking like, there's like the many forms of movement. There's many forms of an exercise. There's you, you know, you have a homework exercise mm-hmm. in school. You have an exercise that I'm giving you, complete this squat. Mm-hmm. You have an exercise for so many other things. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have the movement, how do you complete that exercise? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that internal movement to want to change and do something, how do you complete that exercise?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I think movement's really that foundation in order to complete a task.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like, uh, an exercise is like a framework and yeah. movement is the stuff that fills it. Exactly. It's exercise is a mold.
0: Exactly, uh,
1: Movement is whatever you put in there. Right. And, yeah. and that, and like that can change, right. There can be tons of different mediums you put into that mold, whether it's concrete, whether it's, you know, cookie dough, I don't know. like. Um, <laughs> but it, exercise provides a framework and it, To me, this is like one of the most fascinating things uh, about words is that we use them to create a specific clarity, but at the end of the day, they are so rarely clear because, you know, the actual definition differs from the usage and then that usage has been misappropriated depending on where it's been used. And then of course, you have people's personal relationship to these experiences and these words and and the surrounding consciousness around them, and then that changes it entirely. Yeah. yeah. And so like, <laughs> uh, I I geek out a lot over how in many ways like words are so important, but then there's such a futile way of communicating. And but I love that distinction you made. I've never heard that before, but I it resonates with me a lot because I don't hate the word exercise. I hate the context. Yeah, it's used in and the appropriation of that word in fitness and then the, the feeling it generates as a result. Because right. the, the word is pretty cool. Like, oh, like I'm going to exercise this. Like there's a there's a direct like push to be active and to put put forth your intention into some form of like completion. There's there's like a really nice clarity to that word, yeah. but then it's taken on so many other things.
0: Yeah. You know, you really think of the two different things two different ones, and in my head, like you said, it's all in context, and it's all in your, like, back personal relation to these words, like, exercise seems so much heavier, it seems so much thicker of a word, and then movement seems so much more fluid and light, Mm -hmm. and yeah, like, like, I think intuitive movement, when Mm -hmm. I hear movement, Mm -hmm. I don't, I think of a dance, as opposed to when I hear exercise, I think of someone with a barbell. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, it's so interesting because, like, you know, when I when I teach people uh, how to get in touch with their intuitive movement, I'm essentially sending them exercises. But I also don't use that word. So I'll call them like explorations or games. Hmm. Um, you know, or I don't even use the word drills, but um, but. I, I will try and find different words and not use that but I'm really giving someone like an exercise yeah. like a framework into like to, to get in touch with that movement yeah. in that way that facet of it. Yeah. I love that word framework too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> framework. Yeah. I was talking about Madonna last night with some friends so strike a pose. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you Just who are listening couldn't see this fogging happening. <laughs> oh man, that's that's really good. Uh So movement is life. And then like looking at the distinction between exercise and movement. So taking things down a little further. Yeah. What would you say have been some of the greatest gifts that movement has given
0: you? Well, I definitely think it's first off, like selfishly, it's the ability to have have dance on stage. Mm. And that's like a feeling I miss sometimes. I love that, like, being in the wing and waiting to just go on stage and perform and just be this, like, creature on stage that shows, like, a whole other light to Mm -hmm. the audience. But more selflessly, I feel like I've learned so much through my my whole movement practice that I've been able to help give a better movement quality or better life quality to people Mm -hmm. that I work with when I'm training. And like, that's, that's a joy in itself. Like I just love seeing other people light up. So I love when I can just, you know, help a hit move a little better. And then their lunge it gets a little bit better and they're mm-hmm. happy about it mm-hmm. or help a foot get a little bit better. And when they're walking down the street, it doesn't hurt anymore. Mm-hmm. Like those things, I personally am so grateful that movement has given me because I just love helping people. Mm-hmm. And I, can't really imagine myself doing it in another way besides movement. Mm. Something that everyone's doing all the time, no matter how you look at it in the gym, outside the gym, on the street, you know, just around your house. Mm. And if you don't have some sort of movement practice or you don't have some sort of everyday movement going on, I don't know, like, what what are you doing? So, like, I feel like I can help but that part in people's lives Mm -hmm. and that, that is a good gift for me.
1: Yeah. Like the ability to be of service. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't, I just don't think that there's something else I want to do.
1: Well, like what have been some particularly enchanting moments that you've been able to sort of bestow gifts of movement in your work? And like, do you have any specific memories that come to mind or? I think that's like particularly gratifying when it happened.
0: I think that usually at the end of the day, I always try to reflect on my time with clients. So there's always some sort of little pocket of that that happens, like no matter how big or small it is. But, you know, one of the things that I'd say, like I'm pretty proud and accomplished at is that like I just had three pregnant women in the past year
1: mm-hmm.
0: keep up with their movement practice because they had someone to work with mm-hmm. whether it was me and someone else that they worked with or just myself they all had really easy deliveries
1: wow
0: and they have all gotten back into a really safe exercise routine really quickly hmm and I'm like, yeah, that's because we 3D'd everything before <laughs> you went into labor. Yeah. You know? And like, it's pretty amazing because afterwards I'm like, tell me, was it like, was it hard? Was it easy? Like, how did it all go? And I'm like, no, my hips felt great. I felt great through my pregnancy and I gave birth in 20 minutes. Literally, I, one of my clients. <laughs> Two weeks ago, I just saw her after her baby. She's like, I gave birth in 20 minutes. Oh, wow. I'm like, God bless you. Yeah, <laughs> Someone nice. can need that when it happens. Just oh, that one. Yeah, I'm going to put that on my <laughs> list of things I want in my life. <laughs> just showing people that your movement practice doesn't always have to be the grandest thing, and you don't always have to have this crazy intense exercise thing going on all day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't have to spend hours at the gym, but just a little movement and time for yourself in a day can go a really long way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it can go a long way through so many different periods of your life. Mm. I'd say, yeah, that's probably one of those. Those things I'm really proud
1: of. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's, inter- I love that you mentioned that to bit at the end, that it doesn't need to be this extravagant, crazy, yeah. like heavy, hard hustle of like, this was my maximum PR. And yeah. you know, <laughs> like trying to hit the next one every week, because um, my personal experience has been like, in some ways, the less of that I'm doing, the, the more my body is able to do. In other, in like a, mu- a multitude of ways. Yeah. I had like a fairly interesting series of experiences happen in the last two months where I've been reconnecting with things like running, with like weightlifting, with kettlebell work and animal flow again. Yeah. And these, I, I essentially took about 18 months off of movement in general, where like the only thing I was doing was walking and maybe some stretching occasionally. Yeah. but Like I had no 18 regular, months? Yeah no regulated movement practice. This was when I was trying to develop a meditation practice for myself. And I recognized as long as I allowed myself to like work out or exercise or be physically active, I was always going to preference that. Right. So I would start to preference the time I had with meditation. And then I didn't have time for that for a while. And it was fascinating because not only did I not balloon and gain a ton of weight. Like I, <laughs> my worst fear had always been. I I actually dropped weight. I mean, I also dropped muscle. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I, but like I, the the crazy things I thought were going to happen didn't. And then more importantly, when I started going back into movement, I I was. First, initially doing just like free form movement in a dance studio, whatever yeah. I wanted, just give myself the time and space to do what I wanted, when I felt like it, whatever that was that day. I started doing that once a week and that became my regular practice. And recently I've been going back into other things and I've been hitting like like personal achievements that I've never hit before. Like the amount of improvement and the scale of improvement that's happened with me, not training this stuff is wild. Mm -hmm. And I think it's simply because like I I gave my body the permission to just like self-organize again and, and especially just moving in the small little ways that like it needed to like get its nutrient intake through movement, whether it's just a lot of time walking, Because like, I do, I walk a lot. Um, and, and then just like only interacting with movements that were like interesting or felt good. And then when I could go into like strength, that was interesting and felt good. I had like a deeper right. sense. And so I'm able to connect more and and ramp up the weight I'm doing and ramp up the complexity of what I'm
0: doing way faster than I could in the past. Yeah, That's so interesting too because I, I feel I haven't taken a break like that. I just took two days off and I'm like... <laughs> Antsy. <laughs> so hearing 18 months makes me internally like
1: it, I mean, yeah, it was whoa. weird. Sometimes I was like it wasn't even intentional,
0: it just kind of happened. Yeah. It was it was very odd. Yeah. But the more diversity that I've integrated into my everyday, you know, gym practice or at home practice, whatever it is, I've been able to achieve so many more personal accomplishments that way too. And I just feel like a greater athlete overall Mm -hmm. even though in no way am I as athletic as like you know a football player or a soccer player or whatever but there's like this own inner athlete in me that I feel like I can accomplish so much more with all this variability in my movement and what's really funny is this made me I started to think of this as you also said that one of my clients yesterday she was on this track of modeling Mm. so exercise was more of like She needed to do it sort of thing. And she finally dropped it. And she said, you know, like, I'm over having to basically starve myself and have to, like, think about every single thing I put in my body and think about all the exercise I need to do in a day Mm -hmm. to to feel like I can go to my fitting next week or whatever. She's Mm -hmm. finally over that mental stress. She's young too, Mm -hmm. um, but wise. And she said to me yesterday, you know – I just started going back to the gym and I feel really good about it. Like, I feel like it's something my body just needs and wants and I'm happy to do it. And I leave feeling like refreshed and energized and I'm doing like better without the stress of forcing myself to do Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something too, like in the industry right now that people are either starting to realize or so far away from realizing like, where they have to do two times a day and have to complete, you know, X amount of miles or whatever it is. And having personal goals are great overdoing them and doing Mm -hmm. them because you think it's going to get you somewhere and you're forcing yourself to do it and you actually hate it.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: doesn't really serve any purpose. Yeah. So I think it's so, it's so powerful when you come to this realization of like movement will serve its purpose for me if I really do the things that I am passionate about doing. Mm -hmm. And you just shouldn't have to force yourself into a routine that you don't want to do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, really, the only benefits... Not the only, but you'll get so much more benefit out of this incredible medium of movement when you're, like, connected in an authentic way. And especially if it is through, like, the lens of, like, excitement or curiosity and fun and just, like, the, the, the real the real power it has to offer is in the experience itself. And if you're going through the motions of the experience and completely like disconnected because it's, you know, frustrating or you don't want to be there, then you're really, you're really kind of making less uh, use of your time, effort and Mm -hmm. energy as a result. So I, this is like one of the main things I want people to walk away from listening to these conversations is to like, make decisions based off of what feels exciting to you because there's yeah. so much out there. There's so much fun stuff. It's just a matter of like finding it. Agreed. I
0: have a question for you. Yeah. <laughs> Not to interview you or anything. You are but welcome to. <laughs> has has your movement practice been separate from your meditation practice or are they somewhat combined? Oh, I think there's a lot of
1: crossover. Yeah. I mean, uh, when I was learning to meditate, I recognized there was something very interesting in that I've been relying on movement as like my hit of endorphins and feeling connected to myself my whole life. Yeah. So for me, the thought of sitting still and not moving was um, kind of scary because I felt disconnected from myself. And right. At the same time, if you look at what sitting in a still seated meditation practice is it's just the other end of the spectrum it's not any less movement than that it's just movement has shifted right and i thought this is actually probably the thing i need despite like having a lot of fear and uh difficulty getting myself there so i pushed myself there uh and when i came out of that and then started going back into my movement practices i just had so much more sensitivity uh, ability to really focus my intent and and pay attention. And uh, now when I like go into movement, I can actually find ways to get into that same feeling state through the movement side, just like I can through the stillness side. And I think that was just a really beautiful experience for me to uh, find my way across the spectrum of from like movement to stillness and to be able to integrate them
0: both. I love that. I'm quite jealous. <laughs> well, you're, I mean, you're welcome to. I can give you pointers. And okay. You what I did. Yeah. I'll take you there. <laughs> great. I have a little problem sitting still. So,
1: <laughs> I mean, I think we all do. Um, there's something about stillness that feels like death, right? Yeah. Like, if movement is life, then stillness feels like death. And I also think there is some like conditioning of being lazy. Or, like, the need yeah. to be productive, the right. need to continue moving, to, like, be getting closer to what you want. If you're not moving, you're falling back. And uh, and the second you do sit, like, it, there's a lot of stuff that comes up about all that. And, and then there's also, the, in some ways, this inability to really just be there with it because yeah. your brain's running and running and running. I mean, that was hard. It probably took me a good, like, six months of working through that really consistently. Um, you know, there's always ups and downs with like, just like coming into training, I imagine like there were some times that, you know, everything really clicked and then there you would always have those yeah. days where you're like, huh. so it's, it's the same, but the consistency is key. And then of course, not judging yourself for what's coming up is key to just be like, this is part of the process. So like today I'm having a shit meditation. I can't get there. I'm going to yeah. sit here and do my best and, <laughs> and try and like, try and let go, try and like, try and like push the thoughts aside, move them aside. Oh, it yeah. came up again, move it aside. Like, that's just like the work. It's, you know, like when you're readjusting your body and you're in a position where you don't have integrity and you're trying to train that integrity, like initially there's a whole lot of pushback.
0: Ah,
1: I'm weak here. Like, don't, don't put me here. I feel like I'm in danger. Your brain's saying like, get right, out, get right. out, get out. It's, it's very similar, but. But it's also just a different facet of that kind of discomfort.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm going to take that that away and put that into a process on its own. Yes. <laughs> yes. We'll, we'll continue talking about Yeah. That. yeah. Um,
1: so as we wrap things up here, Marissa, yeah. I always like to offer this moment as just kind of the space to share anything else that's maybe come into your mind or any thoughts that you haven't had a chance to express yet. If it's words of wisdom or, you know,
0: I think really like just do what feels good to you. And if it's, you know, people say it all the time. If it's five minutes of movement, if it's 40 minutes of movement, it's an hour, Mm -hmm. just do it. And it's true. If it's any bit of some sort of movement that you can get, it's not going to hurt you so long as you're not in a really injured place and you're not doing something like really crazy that's going to harm you. <laughs> Let me <laughs> preface it with that. But <laughs> just getting some sort of movement in your body a, a day is just, I think, going to make a huge difference down the road. Mm. Just keep things open, keep things moving, and you're going to have a great day. <laughs> you know, it's,
1: I love that you mentioned the time as a part of that too because I think people hear that, and then they don't give themselves even that five minutes when it's what they have. Yeah. Because there's a judgment that it's not enough. Right. And when I went 18 months without moving, that's what my movement practices were. It's like, oh, five minutes here, stretch this because yeah. it's tight. Boom, done. Yeah. And then walk away. And, you know, there's there's something that I think holds more power about being able to claim those 30-second chunks, those two-minute chunks, those five-minute chunks, rather than feeling the need to get in. Yeah like a 30 to you know hour long workout sesh 30 minute to hour long
0: yeah agreed and yesterday like we sat in the car all day and we were going to do a wedding photo review and mm-hmm. had a huge drive to Pennsylvania I came back and then I had a run to do clients but I had five minutes mm-hmm. like okay let me just do 3d maps and I just felt so much better I felt like you know what I really didn't take today off I took today to give my body what it needs Mm. I think if you just give your body what it needs and you listen and you do the things that your body wants to do or what you want to do on that day like you're not steering yourself wrong
1: Mm. I love that that's so good Mm. Ah,
0: it takes a while to realize it (laughs) but once you realize it
1: yeah well what are some tips that you have for like how to get into that place of being able to
0: see those signals when they come up I think that, you know, the people you surround yourself with is so important. And now it's really popular to bring a friend to class with you or go and do something with someone. But if there's, there's so many times where people invite me to classes and automatically I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. And I started to realize that if I feel that feeling and then go to that class, I felt worse after that class. So really trusting like your initial instinct that comes up, you can really make better choices Mm. and thinking about the amount of time you have in a day and maximizing that time. I think also helps you make the choice that will serve you better in the long run. Mm -hmm. Like now I start to look at my time as I don't want to say limited, but I travel a lot. So I'm in New York for this chunk of time. Mm -hmm. What can I do to maximize the time that I have to get me to where I want to be, mm-hmm. and if someone invites me to go do X workout that I don't want to do, automatically I'm not going to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, just uh, like listening to your initial feeling is going to basically serve you the best. Yeah, I think
1: I agree. Yeah,
0: works for me too. Yeah, it's like when you're like,
1: oh, like does it feel good or not? Mm. Like if you have even a bit of ambivalence,
0: it's like,
1: maybe, maybe there's something else I'm wanting here.
0: Yeah. And it's like, there's a lot of choices in life. I think like, would my grandma be happy if I made this choice? You know, just like (gasps) would my Mm -hmm. grandma shame me, if she saw me put this on the internet, Mm -hmm. she would, I'm not going to do it. Like Mm -hmm. if I initially start to think that like, Eh, it could go one way or another. I'm like, mm. I'll just st- steer away from it. Mm. Yeah, that's so. a really beautiful. Way <laughs> up here.
1: Thank you for that. Well, thank you. Oh, awesome. That's a wrap. Thanks that's for a wrap. wrap.
0: Time. Thanks.
1: <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode on this thing called movement. I'm your host, Marie Janicek. And if you're interested in connecting with me directly, you can find me on Facebook under the name Marie Janicek and on Instagram at Marie Janicek. If you enjoyed this episode, Don't forget to leave us a review and make sure to share with your friends and family. In the meantime, I can't wait to connect with you all next week when we bring on our next guest. Until then, make sure to get out there and move.